right, let's move on to the next record. It's 14 Carat. Uh, that one led off with another great track, Let's Do It Again, which actually was the title of an earlier track, right? But it was totally different. Um, and I'm not sure if that one was a single either, but it was, you know, big and popular in my neck of the woods. Which one was that? Let's Do It Again from 14 uh, Carat. Right. Yeah, it was. It was. It just happened to have the same name, but it, it wasn't a reworking of the original. Yeah. Do you remember anything about that particular album? Um, great bass on that. Uh, again, the high vocals on that actually kind of reminded me a little bit of Brick too. But <laughs> yeah, well, back then um, I knew I could sing a little higher than I can now. Um, and then some of the other guys um, that we used uh, could get up there, uh, and and we liked. Uh, you know, uh, like you mentioned, Brick and 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 uh, Daz and some of those other groups were groups we were listening to. So, yeah, we like to try to to get those vocal harmonies. Like I said, Fatback wasn't a great singing group at that time. That kept it going, Jerry. I mean, every record from you know that period. Uh, I mean, there was at least one slamming great funk track on there, and uh, that one kept it going with "Let's Do It Again." Um, Tasty Jam followed that, and um, to me, I think that was one of the best and most consistent Fatback albums of them all. How do you feel about that? Tasty Jam? Yeah. I know. Um, that one, um, and that may be because uh, uh, Flip and Bill uh, had had a lot to do with that. Um, we tried some different things. Uh, uh, Flip had found an instrument that he, he would use to do bass parts with, that he could play the bass part almost like a percussion instrument. Um, so it gave it uh, uh, an edgy type of different sound to some of the songs. Um, uh, it was... Uh, as I remember that album, it was it was a leaner album in terms it wasn't as full production wise as some of the other albums that we had done. In other words, um, if I'm thinking of all the, the tunes right, and I may not, but I can name some of them if it helps you. Sure, go ahead. Uh, take it any way you want it. Mm -hmm. uh, want to dance? A cool whip. Yeah. <clears throat> Keep your fingers out of the jam. Right. In other words. Uh, the horns were leaner, no strings, you know. Uh, they were just basically grooves, and and a lot of the grooves were were just very basic grooves. Sometimes they weren't even bridges on a lot of those tunes. They were just a groove that was just going, you know. So, uh, uh, or it was a very simple turn and then come back, you know. Uh, so that's what I mean when I say it was leaner in terms of, uh, of uh, the production style. Um, we just let the grooves shine through on those for the most part, and, and the instruments that that uh, they were using on that. But but that was a lot of that was a lot of flip and Bill. You playing the keys on Cool Whip? Yeah, yeah, real nice, real nice, heavy. <clears throat> I like the synth bass on that. Yeah, that was that was flip. That was flip in his instrument on that one. This record, I remember talking 81, and you know, I'm thinking influences like Radio, Ray Parker, and 
<clears throat> excuse me, Cameo, Gap Band, and all those kinds of things. Gap Band, um, Cameo, and, and, and Cameo we listened to. Cameo we had a strange relationship with. But anyway, um, uh, not so much Ray Parker. Not so much Ray Parker. Not well, so Cameo, much. another big New York band. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So, do you know Larry Blackman and those guys? Yep, yep, yep. definitely. Ever tour with them? Oh yeah, yeah. We toured. We toured. <laughs> I'll let you go back to some of my earlier comments about touring. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Larry was intense. Let's put it that way. I'll put it that way. Larry was a little intense, you know. So, well, yeah. Uh, you know, so, but anyway, <laughs> some of, some of those driven guys were a little idiosyncratic. So, yep, yep. All right. So we had Gigolo, uh, another album that came out, and um, that one, um, "Do It Till the Feeling Runs Out." Uh, it was a strong cut, but a little more polished than some of the some of the others. Um, do you recall Dude, anything about that that album? That was that tune was was given to us. I'm trying to remember who it was that that was not internal. Um, yeah. Oh, it's uh, uh, Barry Gibbs has a writing credit on it. Who? Barry Gibbs. It says Barry Gibbs, Bill Curtis, Johnny King. Okay. Joseph Brown, Willie Roach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Bill brought that tune to us. Uh, I, I don't remember the, the uh, session on that one as as much. I just remember that that tune that tune was was uh, was not homegrown. So even though. Uh, the people that contributed to it that were in Fatback, like Bill and, and Johnny King, that was that was an, an external song. So that was something that they brought to us and we said, oh, okay, we like that, let's try it. We've had a couple like that, you know, Rockin' to the Beat was another one that was like that. Well, the title track had your fingerprints all over it, uh, Gigolo. That was funky, P oh. uh, some P-Funk uh, Bernie influence on that one. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, uh, <laughs> I'm laughing because that's actually me doing the vocal, but <laughs> it's you on the vocals. Yeah. <laughs> so I bet you couldn't we're recreate doing, that one either, right? You're doing a very bad Barry White, but <laughs> 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 but it was an idea we had. We said, yeah, let's try this. You know, it was, it was you know, the the nice thing. I, the, I guess the nice thing and the bad thing is sometimes when you're producing yourself. You can do whatever you want. Sometimes you should, and sometimes you shouldn't. <laughs> I'll put it that way. And, and I think the concept was good. I think the execution maybe could have been a little better, or maybe that when I should have let Flip do. But but it was fun. I was having fun, you know. And it was extemporaneous. So it, the the rap was not written out. I was just saying, okay, what? How would Barry? How would Barry do this? You know. And then, and then go from there, you know, and just have fun with it, you know, the laughing and all the rest of that stuff. Yeah. 
So that's another one of those ones that's not performed live. <laughs> oh no, we never did that one. <laughs> <laughs> but but you made the you made it the title track, so you must have done something. I didn't make it the title track. <laughs> <laughs> I would have put it somewhere in the, on the in the side too. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, another curious cover on that record too. You did a, a, a na na hey hey kiss her goodbye. Oh yeah. Uh, you, you funk you funkified it. Yep, we did. We did. Um, that was kind of like a goof that we just wanted to do, you know, uh, and and. Uh, I don't know why we we decided to do that. We just we just started doing it and and said, okay, let's keep going. You know, let's go with it. You know, and we didn't always have rhyme or reason to what we <laughs> we did. <laughs> Saying it feels good. Okay, we can go that. We can go with that. And part of it is like you say, when you when you're doing that many records, and you're doing that many songs. Sometimes you got to fill up stuff. You know. So you, you you do something, you know. It, it, I'd like to say we could spend a year and a half meticulously working on everything we were doing. You know, we didn't have that luxury of time or economics. You know, so so sometimes like you know, I don't listen to everything on all the albums, and we there are a lot of albums, you know. Um, and sometimes I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll pull up an album and I'll start playing something and I say I'll skip that and I'll go do this. And then on a different day, I'll listen to that one I skipped over. You know, just saying. And sometimes I'll say, "What would I do if I was doing that today?" You know, because now time has passed. You know, uh, uh, perspectives have changed. You know, what would I do if we were trying to do this song or redo this song? You know, and that's something that we've even thought about. Um, maybe going back and, and, and re-looking at some things and seeing how we would reinterpret some of the things. Some of the things you just don't want to touch because, you know, they were timeless. You know, I Like the Girls is one of them. Though we did, uh, I don't know if you've you've heard the, the Cotillion album, the two albums we did with, with Cotillion. Um, one was uh, Phoenix Rising. No, Phoenix, excuse me. And the other was, uh, um, So Delicious. So Delicious, where we had Benny King uh, contributed two songs on there. He's singing a duet on that one. One's the So Delicious album, we did um, Girls on My Mind, which was a takeoff on I Like the Girls, but a reinterpretation of it. It's got much more, um, uh, it's got Sanborn on that one, but it, that's a really funky one too, and it's and it's you got a great lyric. Bill outdid himself on that one with with uh, with his uh, interpretation on that, but that became it was very popular in, in England. That was one of the tunes they liked, and I, that one I like listening to a lot because it's, it's really got a nice groove on it. But I don't know if you haven't heard it. Let me know. I'll send it to you. But uh, yeah, I, I have heard it. That one uh, I would say that was like the funkiest track in a while too that you yeah. guys had done. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, Sanborn uh, was also on uh, So Delicious was a nice track, kind of a pop R&B thing. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so just to close the loop on some of the other uh, records and tracks, um, 82 was on the floor, um, and Hip So Slick. Hip So Slick is kind of one of those hidden ones yeah. that I really like. Yeah, yeah. 
it's, it's, it's a little different, you know. Uh, George Victory was doing the lead on that uh, guitarist that we had at that time. It it had it was a different groove too um, than we normally would do. But it was it was it was a nice it was a nice tune. It was really hip, hip so slick, you know. <laughs> were, were you feeling any uh, like Rick James influence around that time? It's right around that era. Yeah, um, uh, we all like liked Rick uh, stuff that Rick was doing. Uh, you know, his his stuff was raw, but it was funky. It, it had that rock edge to it. You know, um, it was like Prince before Prince. You know. Um, yeah, we listened to we listened to a lot. You know, the group listened to to all kinds of stuff. The only thing I would say they probably didn't listen to a lot would be maybe classical. I mean, we listened to country, country western. You know, um, uh, early rap um, because rap when it started was party music, and then I think it was more the West Coast rap that got into the, the more political aspect of it, you know, with Public Enemy and some of the others. Um, and then they started started changing, you know, uh, run DMC too. But a lot of their stuff in the beginning, you know, was was uh, was the party stuff. And, and, and that's where we came from, you know, that's, that's what Fatback grew out of, you know, the dance music, the party music, having the party crowds and all the rest of it. Not to say we didn't get political, you know, when I wrote, is this the future? I was being political, you know. Uh, yeah, that record was definitely a departure because of that very reason. So um, what inspired you to actually get more uh, outspoken politically in, on that particular record, which was in uh, 83? Yeah, Reagan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, just what was going on, you know, uh, so-called trickle economic trickle-down economics. Um, uh, and the other thing I thought of too, because um, was, I mean, I've always had an affinity for jazz, and I've had an affinity for smooth jazz, and and I thought it would be interesting to do it with an adult type of rap rather than something necessarily geared towards the kids which is why you know i asked jerry bledsoe to do do the uh, the rap on that that particular record to 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 gear it towards a, a different type of audience um who would listen to what the message was you know and understand it um it, it wasn't necessarily geared towards towards dancing or anything you know um but every now and then I'd get those feelings. That's how, like I said, that's how, uh, you know, Spanish hustle came about. You just say, oh, I think it's time for this, you know? And, and uh, the thing was, you know, Bill gave me that, that kind of latitude to do that and, and, uh, and go, go in that direction, which was not a typical fatback direction. Yeah. But, but uh, it had an audience and a voice. So, you know, who knows, I may do another one soon. <laughs> yeah unfortunately there's a lot of inspiration oh uh, yeah yeah so you know also on that record uh, tracks after the the uh, is this the future like double love affair spread love um r&b kind of with girl vocals uh, brought to mind stuff like uh, tina marie climax um that kind of stuff yeah 
Well, um, spread love. We had uh, Evelyn Thomas, who had had some dis disco success. Um, we we knew her, so we played the track for her. It was a track that I had written, and uh, asked her to come up, you know, with some lyrics. Um, and she came up with some lyrics. You know, she had to explain that one to me because <laughs> you, know, you know, but it but it was cute. It was you know. Uh, I almost wish we could have done a video to that because I think you know, especially an animated video. I think that would have that would have had some appeal, you know, uh, that would have helped that. But obviously, you know, uh, it's hard enough just to do a video, and trying to do animation is even more expensive. So, you know, that wouldn't have happened unless you know I hit the lottery for something. But uh, <laughs> you know, but it, it was an interesting song. It was funny. It's, it 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 was um, it did very well in Europe. It was it was in a lot of countries it did well and uh, and uh, uh, I don't know if you've heard any of the uh, some of the tunes that we've had they've done remixes on uh, if you'd like to hear them let me know you know I'll get them to you if you haven't haven't heard them uh, Yum Yum was one that, that had a very very interesting uh, remix that was done out of England that almost when I hear it, it reminds me of Northern Ireland. <laughs> and I, I'll let you listen to it. I won't explain why I say that, but I'll let you listen to it and see if you think of the same thing. But it's always interesting to hear how other people would interpret or how would they, you know, how would they remix it. I've heard remixes where they basically didn't do anything different except extend it and other others where they actually tore it apart and put it back together. You know, that's always interesting because you want to hear, hmm, okay, I like that, Yeah. You mentioned the um, <clears throat> Phoenix and So Delicious records. That Phoenix one was really much more um, pop, R&B, I would say, less funk than a lot of the other stuff that had preceded. Um, more electronics, electronic drums. Um, <clears throat> one of the tracks, uh, Jump Up Baby, I was thinking kind of a Pointer Sisters influence maybe. Uh, what, what were you guys going for at that point? Uh in fact, we were directly on a major label. We were now at at uh, at, at uh, Cotillion. Um, I I we tried to fight the 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 first release. Uh, uh, Henry Allen loved ballads. I mean, he just loved ballads, you know. And and uh, he so they put out. You've got that magic, you know. And we kept saying, this is not a song that people identify with that, you know, because we're not really a singing group, even though Michael Walker is a great singer. I said, they're not going to know who this is, you know. Um, let's go with something a little funkier that's more identifiable, you know, as Fatback. But like I said, you know, he, he loves... Uh, it almost made me sorry that we put the, that song on the album, you know, because it, it just killed that that album, you know. So uh, it was almost like a one shot deal, and we we uh, were able to get the second album, you know. If 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 looking back, if we could have led with "Girls on My Mind," you know, what I'm saying that would have been the record to come behind, but. Uh, especially coming behind uh, I Found Loving, uh, which had been the last uh, 
single, the single, the big single we had off the last album with, with Spring. But, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. so. And you ended up uh, kind of parting ways from the group. There was a hiatus, uh, looks like about three years. Late 80s came back with uh, Tonight's an All Night Party, uh, which was a club type of influence on that. What was happening with you and the band in the later 80s? Basically, after we left Atlantic, it was just a matter of trying to find, you know, someplace where we could, we could, uh, um, uh, somebody that would put out, put out the record. And we found a, a small uh, company that was in Inglewood, New Jersey, that was willing to, to do the licensing on that. Um, in terms of the electronics, we had actually started with the electronics even earlier, um, using drum machines and things like that, you know. Um, tried not to program them strictly, but it depended on the tune uh, as, a, as a drum machine, tried to, to give some, some real feel to it where we could. Uh, but all of that technology was was fairly new back back then. So, um, so the 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 gap was basically because of the fact that we you know we had come out of the Atlantic deal. Uh, we weren't touring that much. We might go to England uh, once or twice a year. Uh, I think we went to uh, Japan a second time back around '85. We had gone in 81 uh, the first time. Uh, so uh, that we had more time just just working on on uh, uh, different grooves. Uh, Michael Walker had left the group. We were looking for a new singer, you know, working him in, see where his strengths were, trying to figure out, you know. So that's, that's basically uh, why that one. And that one didn't have a typical fatback feel to it, I don't think, on that album. You know, it had, uh, I think we were just trying to find songs, you know, to put in there, but uh, along with other things, you know, that we were trying to do just to, to keep surviving, basically. Well, tonight's an all night party. Were you on that record? Yep. Okay, so um, <clears throat> did that get a US release? I only saw UK. Um, probably not, because like I said, it was a real small label, so he probably went to the UK first, because that's where we had, we had, uh, we still had more of a following, you know, um, uh, I Found Lovin', which was on the, uh, With Love album, we put out, didn't know it was a hit until we got over there. Um, it used, we would play it in the middle of our show, uh, and we were playing uh, one of the, the major clubs over there, and when we went into it, the audience just went wild, and we wound up looking at each other saying, what is going on here? Because so, we had no idea. Um, as it happened, that song was, 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 was covered by another singer, and then a DJ, uh, Steve Walsh, did a cover of it. Well, our version had had a resurgence and started climbing back up to the charts. And then Steve had his record that he did because Steve used to introduce us at Hammersmith Odeon when we come over there. And we had a good relationship. He had played it for us. You know, we told him we wished him the best of luck with it. But then and there, 
campaign to hype the record, they started a controversy saying Fatback was trying to keep him out. You know, we were supposed to go over and do Top of the Pops. They they lobbied for Steve to go in there. So a lot of weird, funky stuff started happening, and you know, which which really pissed us off. You know, if he had come to us and said, "Okay, this is the plan. This is what we want to do. If if it's okay, you know, you can play along." We had no problem with it. You know, we understand how how marketing works, and sometimes controversies, you know, help drive things up. But to do it like that, which kind of blindsided us, you know. Um, um, left a bad taste in our mouth, and and he knew that. Unfortunately, he passed away. Steve was a very big guy. I don't know if, if, if you ever had ever heard of him or knew him, but he had a uh, he broke his leg in, in Spain at one of the, the the disco things. And when they they did the surgery, he never came out of the anesthesia. You know that that is a, a risk when you're when you're uh, very large that you you know that you may not survive that, and that happened, but. And it's one of the things that I, I kind of feel bad about because I like Steve a lot, but I didn't like what he did with that, you know. And and, and we let him know that, you know, um, uh, before he he left us, you know, and that he should have handled that a different way with us, and we would have gone along with it because we didn't mind because it was a resurgence, and so to have that kind of battle, I mean, because we we got the publishing, so we didn't care if his record was the top record, but. But to do it that way and then make us out like we're the bad guys trying to keep him from get to the pop of the top of the pops and all that stuff, you know, it's just, yeah. So, wow. So the uh, things kind of came to a screeching halt, if you will, I guess, by the end of the eighties. Um, <clears throat> you know, one thing interesting to me on that record, the all night party, is uh, an influence that we haven't even mentioned before. Some of the bass playing on that to me had a slave kind of flavor, like a Mark Adams kind of playing vibe on the bass side. Um, is that something that I'm imagining, or uh, you ever notice that? Um, not consciously while I was while I was doing it, because at that time a lot of that stuff was synth work, um, so we didn't actually have a, a real bass. We we were using a. a, a Different patches, and, and whether it was a moog or or, or a sample of a, of a string bass or whatever the case might be, um, uh, we just, just go with whatever the groove that the, the song happened to go, you know, uh, that we felt with, with the tune. So I wasn't thinking of, of of particular groups or trying to capture the flavor of a particular group. I was just trying to capture the flavor of the song. So wherever that song took me, that's where I went with it, you know. Which is what we did on a lot of things. So, like, like when I said, you know, with I like the girls, or even with girls on my mind, if, if it takes me in a P funk, I'm gonna go with the P funk flavor. If you know, if it's if it's Gap Band, it's Gap Band. You know, uh, with our our identity, you know, I a stamp on it. But but uh, we didn't we didn't uh, very rarely. I, I think we had one song that uh, we did. Um, uh, Shine it, she's my shining star. Sanborn was on that. Uh, that Michael Walker was, and and Michael and Flip wrote that song. And it wasn't, and how I didn't notice it um, when we did it, which I noticed later, was that it was really close to Maze, <laughs> really close to Maze. And 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 if. And I have the suspicion that if that record had been a really big record, we would have heard from Frankie. 
You might have heard from Frankie Beverly's attorneys. Correct. You know, <laughs> I, I, and, I, and I said to myself, I said, how did I let that go? <laughs> you know, without changing that up. So, but most of the times, you know, um, we were very conscious of that, or I was very conscious of it. You know, definitely not to try to step on on uh, on toes like that. You know, um, and and later on, we had instances where people would would uh, sample stuff and then try to claim originality. Yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about sampling, Jerry. So you mentioned uh, some of the ratbacks earlier. And of course, you know, fatback's been sampled a lot. Jimmy Castor has been sampled a lot. Yeah. You know, how do you feel about that? Um, have the people that should get paid for that been paid? Um, you know, how did that transpire and where is it today? Um, most, most of your, your, I mean, your major acts now know, right? Um, we had a very, uh, I won't say famous case because it didn't it didn't go to trial, but it was on the way. I mean, there were depositions and everything. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we had the girls that were with us called Wild Sugar, and and um, and we did we did a record on them. Um, don't remember the name of the record right now, but but uh, the Beastie Boys sampled the very beginning of this record on Brass Monkey. So you hear the sax, right? And uh, so, I mean, and, and we knew Russell, right? Because Russell came from the same area Queensville did, so we, we knew him and Rick Rubin didn't know. Um, so when we went after them, you know, and, and I still have a copy of the deposition, and and some of the answers that they gave <laughs> were really funny because you know you got to well, how did you create this this sound, and how did you you know put this together, and this, that, and the other, you know, and and um, it was obviously lying, you know, but uh, so they they wound up settling, I, and and that along with uh, some of the things that that James Brown was doing because they sampled. James probably they sample more than anybody. Um, uh, kind of set the tone, but I used to read comments where they say, where the rappers were saying, "Well, we're making it popular again." Okay, uh, but you're still stealing the idea, you know. So at least acknowledge. I said, you're not even giving credit, you know. You're not saying, "Oh, we got this from so and so." You're just stealing and saying, "I wrote it," you know, basically. Um, so you're not helping me by doing that, because if they don't know that we did it, they think this is your creation, you know. So, so I mean, uh, the the publisher that we had handling the catalogs at that time was very aggressive about that. He used a lot of the technology where they could actually go in and get digital imprints to see, uh, you know, if they was actually recording. And because a lot of times. Uh, we were involved in the actual uh, production of the records. You could hear the sound differences, you know, as different reverb sounds, different things that make a record sound the way it sounds. You know, uh, the technology is different today, so sometimes you can't capture that same essence of something that you might have done 20, 30 years ago. You know, so it made it a little simpler. So, but so most of the major groups uh, do what they're supposed to do. They know 
it's not worth the, going through the litigation or the publicity. Some of the little acts that it's not worth chasing because you're never going to get anything anyway because they're not going to sell that much. Well, they may not sell that much, you know. Uh, may still do it, you know. You'll you'll see beat compilations that are out there that may have little samples of things that people use for creating. The way I've always looked at it is that sampling is another tool, you know. Um, like anything else, if you pick up, um, if you pick up a trumpet, you know, or a saxophone, or a trombone, or even a turntable and you learn how to master that instrument you can be creative with it there have been some very creative things done with sampling um, musically you know um, putting together things so uh, i don't have any problem with that any more than i would an arpeggiator that can take it take them you know and create create rhythmic patterns or or uh, on a keyboard um, the only thing with with sampling where you're you're doing sampling somebody else's work is giving credit you know and and writing credit because you're using that creation that creation uh um especially if you're using a large part of it i mean sometimes they can chop it down to you know two beats i'm not going to go after you for two beats you know um, um i mean the old standard used to be if it was four if it was over four bars you know, that was copyright infringement, you know, now it's gotten a lot more sophisticated, but, but it's sort of the same thing that is if you create a new soda and you put it in a bottle that looks like a Coca-Cola bottle, Coca-Cola is going to come after you because they've patented that, that idea. So if, if you're going to take something from something that I did, in other words, like Jimmy, what we're going to do is go back way back. Okay. That's, that's recognizable. That's adding something to what you're doing that's drawing from something else that people may have a vis visceral remembrance of. Not, you know, they may not remember that was Jimmy Castor doing Troglodyte, but they, oh, we've heard that, you know what I'm saying? So acknowledge that, you know? And then we don't have a problem. We've all built on other people's work. I mean, there are only 12 notes on a, on, you know, from A to, to, to the, the B below the next, I mean, from C to the next A, the next C. So we all are are creating over the same foundation, you know. <clears throat> but uh, be original, or if you're not going to be original, then credit the people that you've you know that you've gotten, and 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 that can get that can get dicey because how much of it before you you know you say, okay, I'm borrowing too much, or this is this is so and so. It's like the situation I just said to you with. Which she's my shining star, you know, going back and saying, oh, this is this is a lot closer than I would have liked, you know. I mean, it veers off, but if, if I had been as focused as I should have been at that time, I would have said, we need to change this up a little bit more, you know. Well, it's also it's a lot like different, different though, though, it's sort of uh, intentional. Yeah. Or, you exactly. Know. You, you know you take, it'd be different, like if I had taken <laughs> one of Frankie's tunes and actually just sample that and then put it in our record and say, okay, that's that's our group, you know. Let's let's feed off of that then. But those are some of the things that we're now grappling with in a lot of different areas, you know, in terms of, of, of changes in how we look at how we, we do things, you know. And uh and it's something that uh uh we have to come to grips with as a society, you know. Jerry, 
what to you um, makes funk music so special and timeless? Um, what is it about that wonderful genre and form that is just so endearing and, um, you know, gets inside you and makes you move in surprising ways and, and all that? What is, what is it about funk that endures and makes it so special? I think it captures um, the essence of the emotion, you know what I'm saying? Um, um, I won't say emotion because a lot of things can, can, can be emotional, but, but it kind of relates to, uh, at least for blacks, the African rhythms, the things you feel it internally, you know, it makes you want to move, you know. Uh, uh, I mean, all music can have an emotional effect on you, depending on when you hear it, you know, what, how you relate to it. But funk music tends to make people want to get up and move. It makes them want to dance. Um, that's not to say that some country western doesn't do the same thing, rock and roll, but it does it in its own way. You know, so it appeals to a genre just like it appeals to you. You know, it appeals to people uh, differently than if I'm listening, you know, to to Tom Petty or some uh, somebody else. You know, that doesn't mean I don't like what he's doing. You know, or they can't relate to it, but it gives me a different feeling and a different reaction to it. So, um, I think it's 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 rooted in an earthiness that's particular to the people that created it. You know, that, that came out of, of early, uh, out of what became R&B, which, which came out of what was, what was rock and roll, which came out of what was, what was jive and, and early, early jazz all the way back. You know, if you want to go to spirituals, people rocked and danced in, in church, you know, uh, when they were on plantations. So uh, it's all connected, you know, uh, but the funk just has that, and it's and it's funny because talking to some friends of mine, one of the things we say is that the funk music now has gone to the church. You listen to most gospel music, and you hear funk. You hear funk music, you know. I mean, deep funk, <laughs> you know. So you know that it's it's got that that that. Uh, it, it appeals to the soul in a, in a way that other forms of music may not. That's not, you know, I mean, I can watch somebody who's doing a classical performance and they are emotionally involved in it, but it's a different type of experience for them, you know, different type of experience for me. So I don't think it'll ever go away as long as there are people who still practice it. You know what I'm saying? Which is why we kind of noticed that it seems to have moved over into the church where you'll see, you know, uh, uh, Marvin Sapp, some of his stuff, uh, Kirk Franklin, you know, other groups, they're doing funk stuff, you know. That's what, if you change the lyrics and put different lyrics on it and had different people singing, you say, oh man, that's some serious funk, <laughs> you know. So, uh, so it's, it's not dying, it's just, it's just evolved into a different arena, you know. Um, and it'll be interesting to see where it continues to go. But it, it, it has diminished somewhat on the pop side or the, 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 or the radio side. You don't hear as much of it. And that's part of that's programming, you know, what, what's being um, determined by corporate programmers, you know. 
that decide for the whole country what you what they think you want to hear. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, funny, it's kind of got a false yeah. too because I mean the church and gospel is such an influence on funk in the first place, and now exactly. funk's moved into the church. So yeah, full uh, cycle. <laughs> yeah. Some of the other music that I think speaks more to some of the more intellectual parts of the brain, if you will, not really so much just that soul, you know? Um, you know, we talked about um, how music's changed. Do you have any um, advice, Jerry, for aspiring musicians, whether they're trumpet players or keyboard players specifically, or just music in general? If you were coming up today or if, you know, maybe you've had this discussion with a, a nephew or a, or a son or, or somebody. What advice would you give? Um, learn your craft, basically, you know, uh, which whatever it might be in. Um, learn it and be about it, you know, uh, be dedicated to it as much as you can be, you know. Um, most of my career... I was a single guy, you know, which makes it easier for somebody who's who's trying to support a family as a musician. That can get really tough. You have to make different types of choices sometimes. Um, but uh, as in anything, you know, uh, we see a Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant, uh, you know, uh, uh, a great football player, and they talk about going out and practicing, going out and working out. You know, and you say, well, you're the top of the, your game. Well, that's how you get there, you know, by dedicating yourself and trying to be the best. Learn as much as you can. When you stop learning, you stop growing. And it doesn't make a difference what field you might be in, you know. Uh, so you should always try to stay on top of, of what's going on. Now, I don't get to do as much creating as I want to, you know, but I've got all the software programs so as soon as I can get the time and the space to jump back in it and do it the way I want to do it, you know, because uh, that was enjoyable, you know. Uh, the things that you enjoy doing generally are the things that you you, you will dedicate the time and, and space to, you know, um, to, to do. Um, and it'll give you joy, and, it, and it's whatever it might be. If it's music, it's music, if it's, you know, uh, uh, crocheting is crocheting if it's you know woodwork whatever but we all need to have those outlets uh, whether they provide income or not and in today's world a lot of things that you think were just a hobby can be a source of income because so many people don't know how to do things that used to be things that we were taught as kids you know so they're looking for somebody that can that can do that for them so uh, there are a lot of ways that you can you can be successful. Um, you may have to modify your 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 plan a little bit to 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 fit in with today's economies. You know, I mean, uh, there's so many sample banks out there that sound just like real instruments. It's almost you almost wonder who's actually playing. But but you still see when somebody's doing. You know, you see one of the great uh, film composers doing their score. They're not sitting there. They may have a computer. And keyboard there but they've also got live musicians so that hasn't gone away you know there's a sound and, and a feeling that you get from the human interaction that you don't get from the machine so you know be one of the ones that they want to hire you know that was what i would say 
Very good. Hopefully people will be taking that to heart. I'm going to share that with my son so he takes it to heart. He's just uh, learning. He's a little bit into it, but he's playing uh, saxophone, alto sax in the school band, which I also play. <clears throat> but sometimes getting him to, like, you know, stick to the practicing, that can be challenging. <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> like I said, I left that piano. Coming back to it, you know. So, Jerry, um, what are you doing uh, today? Um, are you are you recording anything new? Are you performing? And are you working with Fatback? And if not, what's Fatback doing? Fatback, um, no, I'm basically retired from the business. Uh, I want to, like I said, I, I'm still. I want to get back into the uh, the the, the uh, creation part of it. So. Uh, not necessarily producing uh, an artist, but just creating, you know, being able to to put my ideas down. Um, uh, as I said, there's, there's so much available now. If we had had this 20 years ago, it's amazing what we might have created, you know, uh, especially if you know what you're doing, you know, because um, you can use the technology. And if you know how to use it because you've, dealt with those elements, you know, those instrument families and different things that you can, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between whether it was live or memory, so to speak, you know what I'm saying? But the thing is a lot of people, and this gets back to the sampling, don't know. So when they put it together, it's something else. It's not the real experience, you know? Not to say that that's necessarily bad. There's such situations where that, that kind of, the, uh, creation may be appropriate, but I like the the real experience. So you know that's where I I got my most enjoyment was being in the studio, being part of the creative process. So I do want to uh, get back into that uh, more than I've had the opportunity over the last few years to do. Um, Bill has asked me to travel with him. I may do it. Uh, I would have to brush up on my, my plan because, like I said, I don't do it that much. Every now and then he'll call me down to North Carolina, and I might uh, help him out with a production, add some ideas uh, so that he can, you know, explore different directions. Because uh, we've been doing it so long, we kind of know, you know, which, which way each of us wants to go sometimes. So I can do that with him. He has been... Um, Going over to Europe, he went down to Australia, I believe, uh, the end of last year he was down there. Um, but it's, it gets harder and harder, you know, because when you don't have that record, uh, then people don't want to pay for the cost of getting a band over there, you know. And, and uh, he doesn't want to go over there where it's just Bill Curtis and Fatback from Liverpool or Fatback from the Hamburg, you know. Like the way Chuck Berry used to do it. Correct, you know, um, so uh, so he may be winding it down, you know, from the conversations we've had recently, he might he might be winding that down. So, you know, see how that goes. Well, what's the best way for people to keep track of uh, yourself and Bill and the Fatback Band? Through the Fatback website, there's fatback.com. Yeah. Well, Unless there's any other message you want to get out there, I've run the gamut, I think. Um, appreciate so much you being so generous with your time, Jerry. Um, no problem. You know, all I can say is uh, uh, keep listening. Uh, 
keep posting on on Facebook. I mean, on YouTube rather. Uh, it's always interesting to see which tunes people people like and uh, uh, feel enough, feel strongly enough that they actually will put it up for somebody else to hear, and uh, um, and it lets us know because especially if you're not touring, sometimes you don't know if what had a uh, uh, a special uh, emotional impact on the creator when they were creating it has that same impact on the person who's listening to it. So that's a way of communicating that, yeah, okay, uh, people you know, appreciated what you did. And sometimes even some of the ones that we might say, hmm, you know, because it's, it's funny when uh, I can remember from performing, uh, there were some nights when we'd be on the stage and, you know, just grooving and you're having a good time, you know, and the audience seems to be in it. And the other nights where you don't feel it so much, you know, but then they come up and say, man, great show. Yeah. <laughs> say, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you never know, you know, and it's the same way when you put out albums, you know, you come silence time, people say, oh, that album sucked, or I only like such and such a song, whatever. You expect that, you know, not everybody's going to like everything that you do necessarily, you know. But you do like to know sometimes what they did appreciate because it kind of helps validate what you were attempting to do. But I say to your audience, definitely keep the funk alive, keep listening, you know, and keep jamming. Well, on behalf of that audience, I mean, you know, <clears throat> thank you so much for what you've done and all the great music you've provided. I mean, there, you continue to have more fans and uh you know, people that appreciate that music and it's meant a difference in their life and continues to do so, then you'll probably ever know. So uh, thank you on behalf of everybody. And um, with that, I'm gonna wrap up the show, but I want you to hang tight uh, afterwards. Um, but I'm gonna close up this edition of Truth and Rhythm. A huge thanks to Jerry Thomas, keyboardist, trumpeter, producer, and co-leader of the legendary Fatback Band and Jimmy Castor Bunch. Thank you again so much for sharing your time and experiences <coughs> and bearing with my cold. <laughs> um, also, sincere thank you to listeners and viewers. Be sure to look out for upcoming Truth and Rhythm episodes and catch up with previous installments at funkinstuff.net, YouTube, iTunes, and other leading podcast providers. If you're an artist or an industry figure interested in being on the show, drop me an email at scottg at funkinstuff.net. Or if you're a fan of an artist and want to see them on this show, do the same. We'll try to get it done. So until next time, on behalf of Jerry Thomas, this is Scott Goldfine, as always, saying keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one. Peace.